This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fifteen years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not a hundred percent, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. This is Alyssa Carroll, and I am your host and the creator of at Serial underscore Killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Joachim Kroll. Joachim was born on April 17, 1933 in Zabers, Poland, but it was a part of Germany back then. So let's get into some history for that time. In 1933, we see the peak of the Great Depression in the United States. Statistically, one out of every four people were out of work. Hundreds of thousands of people found themselves homeless and were forced to move into shacks or tent cities, and some just had to wander from town to town looking for work. As poverty increases, so does the number of deaths from diseases such as tuberculosis diphtheria, and scarlet fever. However, this year, they began to vaccinate against diphtheria. And this wasn't unique to just the United States. Nearly every country on the globe was suffering high unemployment rates. Due to this, leaders like Hitler came into power as people became desperate as it was in 1933, Hitler became the Chancellor of Germany, then immediately banned all other political parties. Also this year, Japan revealed their machine gun that could shoot 1,000 shots per minute. Albert Einstein renounced his German citizenship and moved to the United States. He went on to become a professor of theoretical physics at Princeton. Einstein had been known as a pacifist and was Jewish, both factors that contributed to his fear of the new Nazi government that was taking over Germany. So this was the rather tense atmosphere that Joachim was born into. 
and there seems to be a bit of confusion as to what his birth order actually was and how many children his parents actually had. Some sources say eight, others nine. But the consensus is that he was one of, if not the last child born to his parents. Yohim's father worked as a miner and his mother was a housewife. His father had to join the military and when World War II began, he was captured and became a prisoner of war in Russia. His mother and siblings decided to move to West Germany. The house that they moved into was run down. It was just a two-room house to be shared by his mother and so many children. Yohim was described as a frail and weak child who wet the bed far longer than normal. It was said that he had very low intelligence and due to this, he was teased relentlessly by his siblings who called him a coward as well as other children in the area bullying him. And due to the war, his family did indeed live in poverty. He and his family both dealt with extreme hunger. His formal education stopped at just third grade, and at eight years old, he began working a farm to help support his family. And even though his siblings grew up and moved on with their lives, Yohim stayed living with his mother. He was extremely introverted and kept to himself, and needless to say, he was extremely attached to his mother, whom he lived with until he was 22 years old. So that was Yohim's childhood, and I know it's not a lot, but there is some good information here. With his father being a prisoner of war and thus most likely executed, Yohim never saw his father again. The impact of that trauma depends greatly on the life stage of that child as well as the level of development. Psychiatrists and others have generally been surprised by how often major childhood loss seems to result in psychopathology. Studies of adults with various mental disorders, especially depression, frequently reveal childhood bereavement, suggesting that such loss may precipitate or contribute to the development of a variety of psychiatric disorders and that this experience can render a person emotionally vulnerable for life. This special vulnerability of children is attributed to developmental immaturity and insufficiently developed coping capabilities. The now sort of outdated McDonald triad is what most people grab onto when they hear of his childhood story. The McDonald triad is of course the fire starting, the bedwetting, and the animal torture combination that can be factors of future serial killers, but the only one out of the three that he displayed was bedwetting beyond the normal age. He was described as smaller, weaker, 
and of lower intelligence, and of course this means he was bullied. And as we all know, the effects of bullying can vary, of course, but usually are intense and long-lasting. The short-term effects of bullying are social isolation, and we know Yohim was quiet and a bit of a loner. There's feelings of shame, low self-esteem, symptoms of anxiety, bedwetting, higher risk of illness, poor school performance, and symptoms of depression. The long-term effects can be chronic depression, suicidal thoughts or suicidal attempts, anxiety disorders, PTSD, poor general health, self-destructive behaviors, and they are much less likely to be educated or employed. And let's go ahead and talk about his education, right? So he quit after the third grade. It is exceedingly difficult to find statistics and detailed information about school dropouts when they quit at that young of an age. Dropping out at any point affects what employment opportunities are to be had lifetime earnings, and I just cannot imagine that he was really even very literate, to be honest. So, let's get back into it. In 1955, when he was 22 years old, his mother died. Now, whether or not his mother's presence kept him contained and controlled or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that after her death, he simply lost all control. He began to rape and kill. In February 1955, he met 19-year-old Ermgard while she was walking. She was a runaway and possibly a prostitute. Yohim invited her to walk with him in the woods where he attacked her. He stabbed her four times in the neck. He strangled her and then raped her body. Her remains were found five days later in a barn where they discovered that she had also been disemboweled. In 1956, 12-year-old Erica was strangled and raped. In June 1959, three years later, 24-year-old Clara was walking along when Yohim attempted to grab her arm. Now, she jerked her arm away, and so he hit her in the head. He then strangled her and raped her. Her naked body was found the following day by five boys riding their bikes. In July 1959, Yohim grabbed 16-year-old Manuela and pulled her into some bushes. He then strangled her. He had sex with her body, then proceeded to masturbate over her body. He then cut out slices of flesh and meat from her bottom and thighs. Then, at this point, Yohim moved into his own apartment and got a job as a restroom attendant. And for two years, he didn't murder, as far as we know. 
He became well known by his neighbors and was actually pretty well respected. He was very nice to the local children. He befriended them and they called him Uncle Yohim and he invited them into his apartment to play with the toys that he kept there as well as candy that he bought and he freely let them have it. He would go on to say that he absolutely loved the attention he got from the children and thought of them as his own nieces and nephews. And you know, the parents thought that he was harmless too and they they kind of felt sorry for him because he seemed to act like he did want a family of his own. Again, he didn't kill for three years, but then in April of 1962, he strangled 13-year-old Petra with her own scarf. He then raped her dead body. He also partially butchered her and unfortunately another man was persecuted for her murder. Two months later, 13-year-old Monica was walking to school innocently when Joachim grabbed her and drug her into a field. He strangled her, he raped her, then again masturbated over her body. He then filleted some, quote, steaks from her bottom and the backs of her thighs. Her body was located by a police helicopter. Another murder in September of 1966, then again in December. Only this victim was just a five-year-old little girl. And, you know, when he got home after murdering a victim, he would have sex with this rubber doll that he had stashed at his house. He would strangle it while he was having sex with it. Then, once he was satiated, he would cook the flesh of the particular victim he had killed that day, and he consumed it. And then from 1966 to 1969, silence. As far as we know, he did not attack or kill anyone for another three years. We do know that he again moved apartments and began working in a steel factory during that time. But presumably, once he got settled, the attacks resumed. In July 1969, Joachim was taking a stroll along the banks of the Baldany Lake when he ran into 61-year-old Maria and experienced what he would later describe as a, quote, tickling feeling all over, unquote. He attempted to strike up a conversation with her, but she wasn't having it. So he hit her and she fell into this bushy area where he strangled her until she was dead. He then raped her body. She was found the next day. Almost a year later, Joachim spotted 13-year-old Judda exiting a train and he followed her through a wooded area that took her to her house. Only she never made it home. Then another period of silence for six years. Then in May 1976, 10-year-old Karen was happily walking along on her way to school 
When Yohim lured her away, he strangled her and raped her little body. Only two months later, he would take his last victim. Marion was one of the local small children that he had let into his apartment, you know, from time to time, and let her help herself to the candy that he kept. He kidnapped four-year-old Marion and did to her what he had done to the others, only he took her body back with him into the apartment. What he did to her would shock his local community to its core. A neighbor named Oscar was stopped by Joachim, where he was told not to use the top floor bathroom because the toilet was, quote, blocked up with guts, unquote. Yes, apparently there was a shared bathroom in this building. So Oscar went right up to the bathroom to have a look, and sure enough, he saw what he later described as butchered remains, blood all over the toilet, and tissue floating in the water. A plumber was called to come fix the clog, of course, and the plumber took one look and called the police. Once the police came to inspect, they began pulling out the internal organs and intestines of a human child out of that toilet. They placed each piece in a bucket. Now, Yohim stated it was the internal organs and a bit of flesh of a rabbit that he had captured, but the police knew better. At this point, the police searched his apartment. Yohim showed them the stew that he had cooking in a pot on his stove. He lifted the lid and then openly admitted that there were pieces of the missing girl, including one of her very small hands mixed in with the carrots and the peas. He was arrested immediately and he didn't resist. He was finally behind bars in July 1976 at 43 years old. Upon further inspection of his apartment, they found the rest of the remains of the little girl, along with other human meat inside of his refrigerator. When questioned, he stated that he often butchered portions of his victim's flesh and took them home to cook and eat, you know, to save money on groceries. He told experts that the sight of blood sexually aroused him and that he was not able to maintain an erection with a woman. He first tasted human meat out of simple curiosity. He stated that he truly believed, once he was in prison, that they would be able to perform some kind of simple surgery to rid him of his urge to kill and eat human flesh, and then he truly thought that they would just let him go. He was, of course, ultimately found guilty of 13 murders and sentenced to life in prison. In July of 1991, 58-year-old Joachim died from a heart attack in prison. 
So, the reason he was able to evade detection for so long was because of just how random and disorganized he was. He would seem to kill in rapid secession, then go years without hurting anyone. He wasn't necessarily disorganized, but he wasn't an organized serial killer either. There were a couple of men also that just confessed to his murders when they weren't the killers. Others were accused of the crimes due to, you know, having a bit of a shady past, but again, they did not kill these people. Sometimes he cut flesh from the bodies and cannibalized it. Other times he didn't. It wasn't that he was some kind of criminal mastermind. Yohim gives me serious Andre Chikatilo vibes. But what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at serial underscore killing or YouTube under the same name as this podcast. You can visit my website at serialkilling.squarespace.com and thank you so, so much for listening. I know that you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I truly appreciate that. Thank you and have a great day.